to the Archive Room podcast. I'm Judith Lay and I'm very pleased to find you waiting for me at the door to the Archive Room, the place where we keep stories of island life in years gone by, told by the people who were there. So come on in. Sit down and let's listen to this week's selection. Manx Holmes is our theme this week. Louise Quirk, for many years a familiar voice and a popular presenter here on Manx Radio, will be chatting with Walter Clark, and we'll also hear how Ewan Kelly turned something made to amuse his children into a very successful business. But let's begin with a visit to Daphne Corlett. Daphne was born in Brighton in 1919 and moved to the island at the time of her marriage, soon after the outbreak of the Second World War. She and her husband John lived in Castletown, and over the years Daphne built up a fascinating collection of vintage clothes and accessories, and was well known for giving talks about them and raising funds for charities by displaying them in fashion shows. But at the same time, she was also building up another equally interesting collection, which David Collister discovered when he visited Daphne at her home. At the age of 81, Daphne was still very happy to take visitors on a tour of her Manx cottage kitchen. We've entered Daphne's Manx cottage. Now this was a special project that you must have had in mind for a while, was it? I did, yes. When I had to give up my fashion shows and things, I decided I'd make use of this one because people have to come to me now. I can't go out to them, so people have to come to me now. Yeah. This was originally a cottage. This was the Manx cottage, yes. Yes. Although it's a very primitive one. But here, then, you've got a collection, really, of some remarkable artefacts. I have, yes. I've had them them for years. So you've been collecting them over the years, have you? I have, yes, gradually over the years. Now, you're holding up here in front of me a goose feather. Now, why is that in here? In the old Manx cottages, they always had a goose feather because in the old days, before the days of medicine, an old woman in the village would be considered a witch. And you knew that the old witch would take a goose feather and go down to the crossroads at midnight and scoop up some dust, put it in a little bag, and then she'd go round to anyone she didn't like and she'd sprinkle some of the dust round the house, put a curse on the house. And so if she visited you and you thought that she was a witch, as soon as she'd gone out the door, you'd get your own goose feather and you'd rush round the house, brushing in all, all the chairs and everything to make sure she hadn't left any dust round. To sweep it away. To sweep it away, yes. So that's why every Manx cottage had a goose feather. In the old days, they were always used for, for sweeping the house. Well, you've got the old Manx Cholock here, haven't you? I've got a lovely Cholock, yes. Well, that's a baking stone. That'll be cast iron with a, uh, with a handle. That'll get mighty hot, won't it? Oh, that's heavy. It's, it's metal. And you'd bake your... You'd bake, uh, bake your bonnet and so on, and, yes. And drop scones in bonnet and things, yes. And then these various pans here that you have. You've got the old uh, iron kettle, of course. Now, there's a huge great pan with a handle in the corner there. What would that be for? There was always a pot boiling on the pan somewhere. There should have been an iron bar going right across, you see, over the fireplace. Yes. But I haven't got it, unfortunately, no. No. That's the griddle. This very high iron griddle, believe it or not, I found it in Queen Street in Castletown. Did you? It was thrown outside somebody's house. You recognised what it was? I recognised what it was. They said, well, I don't want it. So I took it home with me. When I know I've got visitors coming, I do bake a bonnet and I put it on there. Do you? So you yes. actually cook in here? Oh, no, no. No, but I, I put one on there. But you've not, you couldn't cook in here now, I suppose. No, we did try, but we got smoked out. There's a bellows there as well. Oh, yes. There's you no had to have there. that to keep the fire going, we did you? We did, yes. There's a, a little story called The Dumb Cake. 
in the old days, girls, young girls, would bake a cake together and not say a word to each other, mix it and bake it, and then when it was cooked, they'd break a piece off and walk backwards out the room and put it under the pillow at night and dream of the man they were going to marry. <laughs> That's the story of the dumb cake. Really? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You've collected all kinds of jam jars and containers here, jam little medicine and bottles and that sort of thing as well. This is quite an unusual one. It's got Charing Cross Hospital written across it. Oh, yes. In the old days, before the doctors, when you couldn't get medicine free, you'd go down to the village shop and these little bottles would be hanging on cards behind the counter. Yeah. And they would contain sort of things like eucalyptus oil and castor oil and things like that. You bought them for six months at a time. Oh, right. They're little thin bottles like that. Yes. Yeah. You've got these seven-pound jam jars down here underneath, I well, see. I've got dozens of those, yes. Yes. With the Russian label, Abbey. Russian Abbey jams, no? Plum jam. Yes. Look at that. And you've got the Russian Abbey jam on Wonderful, yes. yes. They had on their label a picture of a monk well, there, they didn't did, they? yes, yes. Yes. And these are old um, Hartley's jam jars. They're stone jam jars. Yes. But on the bottom it's got not genuine unless it bears W.P. Hartley's label. Yeah. You know, on the bottom. And the very early ones, I can feel an early one, has just got W.P.H. written stamped on the bottom. Oh, that's an that's old a very one. Early very one, old, yes. yes. Mm. And you've got the old cod pop bottle there, I see, with the marble in, haven't yes, you? Yes, I have, yes. Is that uh, Wild of Ramsey? No, no, it's Irving's at Peel, is it? Yes, Irving's at Peel. What about the furnishings in here, then, uh, that you've got? I mean, there's a ro- is there a rocking chair there? There would always be something like a rocking chair in a cottage. Be a rocking chair, definitely, yes. Yes. Okay. Now, you've got a chest here with the name N. Dixon, is it? W. N. Dixon. Dixon was Dixon of, of college. Mm. He was the college master. All oh, right. That was his chest. It came to me via a lady in Castletown. Yes. I don't know how she got it, but she gave it to me anyway. Yeah. Now, the, one of the oldest pieces here is like a, wash, a sort of dressing table, is, would it be here? It'd be a little sideboard, wouldn't it? Oh, is it? Yes. It's a sideboard, yes. Now, that's it? carved. And it's made of bog oak. Bog oak, is it really? Yes. Now, that must be a very old piece, isn't it? It's is a very, very old piece, that, yes. That, was that here when no, you came? It came to me via a cousin, Mrs. Madge Wattleworth, yes. whose mother was Eva Corlett, who was born here. So Eva Corlett, when she left cottage yeah. to get married, must have taken it with her. Yeah. And then it was in their house, and Madge gave it back to me. All this china is, is a whole set of china. Yes. Is the old Asiatic pheasant pattern. See the two birds on it? Oh, I see, yes. Asiatic pheasant pattern. Right. It was the old everyday china for the Edwardian period. But look at those huge dishes down there. Massive, aren't they? Yes, old you'd get a good-sized uh, bird on yes. that, yes. There's one here that's got a whole series of holes in it. Well, that was for meat. You put yes. it at the bottom of the dish and then the meat juice would run oh, down. Oh, the it. juice would run through. That's right, yes. Oh, I've never seen that before. Yes. That's not Asiatic pheasant, that's Florentine, different patterns. Uh, yeah. Yes, right. Let's pop that back carefully. If you go to uh, the Grand Island Hotel and go up to their first floor, they've got a cupboard with a glass front on it mm. and they have four gravy boat dishes Yes. I've got the gravy boats and they've got the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> There's an old iron here that you would not plug into the electricity. No, that's what they call a box iron. Yes. How do you get them heated then, Daphne? Well, a box iron. You lift up that piece. Oh, that, yes, there's a back sliding piece at the back. Yes. And there's a, and you're pulling a stone, out. iron-shaped stone inside. Yes. Heat the iron stone on the fire. 
Yeah. And then when it's hot, you put it in the slide it in like that. Provided you and don't burn your fingers, yes. Yes. But it's very, very heavy. <laughs> primitive. Extremely primitive. Very heavy iron, yes. Get a good crease in your trousers with that. <laughs> you wouldn't need it. Some of these, this old pottery is um, from... Now, where was it? In Douglas, there was a terracotta works. Yes. This is terracotta pottery. So this really is quite a, a remarkable collection that you have here. Do people from time to time get a chance to see this? Oh, anybody can come and see it any time, yes. yes. I used to have schools come up when they're doing Victorian honour in their curriculum. They come up and see it. Yes. And I'd show them all around the garden. And these are interesting too. Now, you're showing me here some huge casks. Boddington's Isle of Man, Douglas. They're not casks, they're, they're kegs, aren't they? Boddington. Kegs, well, same sort of thing, yes. Stoneware, aren't they? Yes, yes, that's right. Boddington's had an agency in, in the Isle of Man in 1897. They didn't brew over here, they just brought stuff over. Mm -hmm. And then this one, Robert Corlett, was my husband's father. Corlett's was a grocer's in Castletown in the 1910, I think, to 1920s. Anyway, obviously when Boddington's closed up, he bought some of their goods, you see. So that's how I've got Boddington's Brewery here. And the one, the Corlett one here, still got a bung in the top, I see, and it it's sitting in a basket. Is, yes, it, does know, it still yes. contain something, that or not? I don't know. I've never, <laughs> never taken the cork out now. Am I, am I looking? Oh, there's another cork, Corlett uh, one there, yes. beautifully, beautifully set in a, in a wicker in a basket, basket, isn't it? Yes. yes. Am I looking at a crock here that you would have kept something in? This could have been a bread crock. Oh, bread, that, yes. yes. I mean, you'd had a bigger it. version of that to keep herrings in, perhaps, would you? Yes, here's a herring crock down oh, here. Oh, there, I see. There's a herring crock. And this one is even older, this one. This was Tom Dodds. They had a grocery shop in Castletown. Yes. Tom Dodds. Because yeah. Robert Corlett was an apprentice at Tom Dodds yes. before he became his own grocery shop. This is interesting. You're now looking at an old wartime butter churn. It's a handmade butter churn. All it is is a jar with a lid on, a winding handle set inside two uh, uh, wooden side pieces, and then you just keep turning it round and churn your butter in that. Yes, that's right. Yes, it works too, yes. There's two little brownstone pots here that look as if they should have ginger ale in, but they're not. Mm. They're called blacking pots. Are they? In the old days, when people used to black their black lead or their fireplaces, yes. the blacking would come in these pots. Oh, that's what they're for. Blacking pots, yes. Yes. David Collister learning about lifestyle in the kitchen of Daphne Corlett's Manx Cottage. And there's more to be learned about traditional Manx homes as we eavesdrop on this conversation between Manx radio presenter Louise Quirk and Walter Clark. Walter will long be remembered for his passionate dedication to keeping the Manx language alive by recording the last native Manx speakers. And that's something that we'll return to in a future programme. But for nearly 40 years, Walter worked as a technician at the Manx Museum. He was largely instrumental in creating the Folklife Gallery and collected materials and artefacts from all over the island in a bid for authenticity. Here's Walter talking with Louise about the traditional Manx farmhouse. This is meant to portray as the larger type of farmhouse that existed over here at that time um, that had a, a slate floor because the small ones, of course, had just a hard-packed yeah. earth floor like they have in Craigneesh. Um, this is, was a more Cortland-type farm kitchen. This would be quite a wealthy farm, then, it would, would it? It would, yes. And you get the big cholock, you see, the big wide-open yeah. cholock or fireplace with the slowry coming down and the pot hanging under it and a turf fire underneath 
and also a pot oven on the crow there, on the three-legged crow stand. Would it be smoky? It depended which way the wind was blowing, really. Yes, uh, some of them were very smoky, but um, a li- there's a little oven built into the side of this with a, with a hinged candlelight for, for looking at it. They would do all their cooking on that. The stockpot would be gone most of the day, of course. And when they were baking the bonnig, if they weren't using the oven, they would use the, the pot oven, which is a metal pot, literally, with a tight-fitting mm-hmm. lid, which was put in on the, on, actually in onto the fire, and the, the hot fire, hot cinders, put over the lid as well to create an oven effect and uh, leave the, the bread to bake. It doesn't look as if there's a lot of comfort, really, when you look at the settles and the, the hard benches. There wasn't a lot of, of comfort here, was there? There wasn't much comfort. Everything had to be practical and useful. Mm. Comfort was something that uh, came in much later, I think, than that. Um, the spinning wheel was in the corner, and that was on the go all the time. Uh, that one has a distaff for flax as well as wool, you see, where they, they, they spun mm. the flax as well. And the wool winders for winding the hanks and then the hank winders. It seems, too, they were very fond of uh, the china and crockery and, of course, the, the dogs on the fireplace or the mantelpiece. But this is a magnificent dresser you've got here in, in this farmhouse reconstruction, isn't it? Yes, it's typical of the dressers. They, the women used to vie with each other to try and build up a collection of this sort of stuff. A lot of it was brought back by the men who were sailing, you see. Mm. They, they were, besides being crofter fishermen, they also sailed. Oh, there's the old clock. It's on time. <laughs> And uh, they brought these things back as gifts for them, and the women collected them, and they, they cleaned them, and they displayed them on their dresses, and mm. they were very proud of them, particularly the luster wear, you know. Yes. That was very popular. I can imagine this not being too bad in, in the summertime, but surely on dark winter nights when it got dark about, well, half past three, four o'clock before Christmas time, these must have been awfully dark places to live. They must have been, yes, I think they were, particularly when they had the very early type of lighting, which was a rush light, which was just a little taper. It sort of made darkness visible, you know. And uh, later on, they, they had uh, their own candle moulds were produced, and they moulded their own candles. It depended how wealthy they were, how many candles you could use. Mm. But then there was no need for a great deal of light. They went to bed when they were tired, when it got dark, too dark to do anything or sat in the firelight only. Well, we'll move actually into the bedroom if we can, mm. Walter, because this, this is also extremely interesting with, with the items that you've managed to collect here. Can you describe one or two of them to me? Yes, well, the, the, the cradle, of course, is there, you see, and the, the, the little cradle is typical of the type of cradles you have, and usually there's a string attached to it on the bed so that the, the woman could lie in bed and pull on the string mm. and rock the cradle, saved her getting out of bed when the <laughs> baby cried. The bed itself had a chaff mattress. There were no springs, no, no springs like that. It was simply filled with, with chaff. Very healthy, but rather hard and uncomfortable, I would think, if you're not used to that <laughs> sort of thing. Uh, a little prayer stool there for prayers and uh, one or two bits and pieces of the, the osier and bear and the white, white stockings there and things like that and coats. And it's a typical of the the bedroom that the the master and his wife would have. The kids, of course, would be upstairs up in the loft. You see, they would they would they never mm. had a room like this. You couldn't have many clothes. There's anywhere to hang them. Not uh, no. There was one or two little cupboards built into the walls, but not a great deal. People didn't have an awful lot in those days. They had a good suit and a working suit, if you like. Mm. A lot of the women, of course, uh, went bare feet in the in the in, and the men in the, in the summer. 
or else they made karens, and the karens were made of calfskin. There's a pair there mm. made of, of calfskin, like a moccasin, which were worn. Would this bed quilt have been actually quilted by one of the ladies in the oh, house? Oh, yes, all handmade. Yes, it's all handmade. We've got a nice collection of those sort of things. Mm. Um, they, they didn't waste anything. All the little bits and scraps of material were kept and cut into shapes and stitched, sewn together and, and made into, into these. And again, the mats were all rag mats, you see. They're all made of, of rags. Mm. Nice little pattern on them. Nothing was wasted because uh, they couldn't afford to waste stuff. And yet these people seem to be more content than people are today. Mm. I don't know why, but they did seem to be. No, I think people now have been spoiled. They want their television, their electric light and central heating and things like that. We'll be back in the Folklife Gallery with Louise Quirk and Walter Clark later in the programme. But now let's return to cottage life as Ewan Kelly tells David Collister how a passing interest turned into a profitable business. Well, it was in 1962 and I had this uh, idea that uh, to amuse the, my children I'd get a piece of wood and uh, sort of whittle it into a shape of a cottage. And I think by the next day I was that fascinated with cottages that uh, I got really deeply involved in it. And here I am, 20 odd years later, we've made something like 34,000 of these cottages. That's so, really. We've exported them all over the world. The demand is as great as ever. Tell us about the Manx Cottage, because, I mean, it has well, special it, characteristics so, of its own. Yes, it's so full of history and, and meaning. Uh, for instance, at the end of a roof... They used to leave stones sticking out at the gables there, known as Bwid in the Manx, and the Sagan was the rope going across. That, was, of course, was to hold the thatch down, quite different from the English style, which is pegged in. But uh, this method of thatching is the same in Ireland and Scotland. Now, what were they like inside? Were they just uh, two, rooms. two rooms? Two rooms on the left-hand side, usually was the uh, bedroom where mother and father would have slept on the right there, the timer, the big kitchen where everybody lived and a ladder against the back wall here and children would climb the ladder and sleep on top of the parents' bedroom there, you see. And large families, very big Large families, families and uh, hard earth floors trodden down by generations of feet and until recent times... Uh, I was in a cottage just a short while ago, in uh, Crosby, actually. This had just recently had the earth floor changed for a proper... Really, yes. But there are fewer and fewer of these real cottages around now. A great pity that so many of them have been uh, demolished and let go to ruin. These are a major attraction to the visitors. This is what they're looking for, is the old way of living. Craignice, uh, of course, is a wonderful place, and uh, I think, I mean, that's been part of the Manx Museum, hasn't it, since uh, yes. 1938? Right. What a lot of forethought they had in those days. Mm. But, but could you have a whole community living in these little things now? No, not as, only as, as it is now at Craignice. People do live there, but uh, when the visitors drive round, they say, where are the little thatch cottages we haven't seen any thatch cottages mm. they find the group out at Cranstall you know on the way to the point of air which is another lovely group of cottages but they're so full of history for instance uh, the single story cottage as you see now on these models uh, was how most of our ancestors lived say five six hundred years ago and that's the average age of a lot of these old cottages right. 500 years but if you're driving around the countryside 
and you look at it, what seems to be a typical cottage, white walls and a slated roof, two storeys, just look at it again and you'll see in some cottages in various parts of the island, you'll see where they, at one period, they've had to raise the roof another storey and they can't take the stones out so the stones are still there in the wall and another row of stones higher up. It's a period of affluence actually. A lot of that happened when, for instance, the smuggling was at its height and the money was plentiful Mm. and they'd use the money to improve their property by lifting it up one storey. And they'd take the thatch off and put slates on instead. Yes. Now at that period, that's, that's another period when they put the slates on and you notice in the flashing here, in the, in the chimney stack, they can't get it out, it's, it's part of the stack. So if you drive round and look at the cottages that have a slated roof, but you'll see the flashing still there in the stack, which shows that at, that time, at one time that house was in fact yeah. thatched. Yeah. I think the thing still applies to uh, the old church at Braddon too, which has got flashing in the, in the belfry. These are the sort of cottages that you could perhaps have an entire village of holiday cottages for people to stay in in the summer. Ah, yes, yes. In Ireland, of course, and Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland, this is what they're doing, building uh, imitation old thatched cottages as holiday villages, but I'm not sure whether that's quite uh, what a... It's not the genuine thing, is it? Now, your cottages have a little more added than just the appearance and, and the flowers in the garden outside, because when you lift the lid, there's uh, some music, I think. Yes. Uh, when I first started them, it was some time before I began to realise that I could make these things musical. It was even later before I realised I could make it with Manx music in, playing Ellen Bannon, obviously. And I had to write the music down, have it sent over to uh, Switzerland, and have it made into a musical movement. Since then, we've done... Uh, Apart from Ellen Manham, we do, we've done Land of Our Birth, um, The Manx Wedding, and in a week or two's time, uh, for better or for worse, we'll have uh, anybody here seeing Kelly. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Well, can we perhaps hear Ellen Vannon now? Wonderful, that, and that's Swiss-made, I believe. Yes, Swiss. Of course, uh, musical movements were invented by the Swiss 200 years ago, and a lot of other countries have tried to copy, such as Japan and Czechoslovakia. Nobody has ever got anywhere near the quality of a Swiss movement. That was Ewan Kelly of Kelly's Souvenirs, talking with David Collister in the late 1980s about his very successful business manufacturing souvenirs. Ewan mentioned thatched cottages, and that was a topic of conversation when Louise Quirk went back into the Manx Museum's Folklife Gallery. The fisherman's shed, that fascinates me because you've thatched it, and I didn't realise that you actually did thatching yourself too. Yes, well, years ago when we didn't have as many staff, we we had no outdoor staff very much then. Uh, You had to do everything, of course, and I used to go to Craig Nice and do the thatching down there. How did you learn about thatching? I was lucky because we had a caretaker down there called John Kinley, who was very good at thatching, and um, an old man who lived in the village, James Caron. And because I spoke Manx, I was I got on well with James and John, and they taught me the basics. Mm. Is, is it difficult to learn? 
Not really, no. It's, um, it's practice, practice. The more you do it, the more skillful you get, really. There's certain rules you've got to abide by, but once you master those, uh, uh, it, it's all right. But Manx that, of course, doesn't last all that long. The straw doesn't last very long, and you have to do it every two or three years, you see. This is when it's uh, exposed, like the cottages at Craigneesh. Yeah, and it's very difficult now to get that, because uh, with modern harvesting methods, it's all broken up. You can't get the straw... You have to go out to the airs and pull bent, or the old shaslik, as the men called it. Mm. And, and There's a special feature, too, with um, Manx thatching. I mean, you look at an Irish thatched cottage, or you know, Welsh or Scottish, and a Manx, but the difference is really when you tie the thatch down. On the buds again, yes, they, they, they were built into the structure, and uh, in the old days, all the thatch was fastened down with sagan, with straw mm. rope. Uh, it was only more recently that they used nets, and now, of course, you can't get this again, so you've got to use the kayar. But uh, people would spend hours uh, making this again, twisting this again into bowls and putting it on the, mm. on the roofs of the houses. As long as you had a good scray underneath, which is the sods underneath, uh, and a good coat of thatch on top, and then if any water got in, you had to dig out all the rotten stuff and replace it with dry stuff, mm. otherwise your whole roof would go rotten and split. A new roof every two or three years. I think we'd probably all have to learn to thatch if we still had to do that today. And with that, it's time to close the archive room door just for this week. With thanks to David Collister and Louise Quirk for those timeless conversations with Daphne Corlett, Ewan Kelly and Walter Clark. And my thanks to our archivist, Tim Price, who finds the stories that he hopes you'll enjoy. All our Archive Room programmes are available as podcasts at manxradio.com or via your usual podcast provider. I'll be opening the door again next week and I do hope you can join me. But for now, this is Judith saying thank you for your company in the Archive Room. And is our mystery sign-off man still a mystery to you? Look after yourselves and goodbye, bye, 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 bye. Stay